0: Bibles at this time, and let's turn to the book of Philippians as we continue our series "Uncommon Joy," looking at Philippians chapter one, verses twelve through twenty-four. I want to read Philippians 1.12. Paul writes to the people at Philippi. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened. To me, there some difficult circumstances that happened to Paul. And my question is, what's happened to you in the last month? Have you had some difficult times? I just know from my role as a pastor here in the last month, we've had uh, at least two individuals lose their jobs uh, this past week. That's very devastating, isn't it? And then uh, I know that there's a young lady who's struggling with cancer, uh, another woman who fell down her stairs and broke her leg. I know of parents who are struggling, either their teenagers or their adult children. I know of couples who are trying to put their marriages back together with the power of God after affairs. Yeah, there's a lot going on. We all have challenges, don't we? We all have difficult times, but what we want to focus on this morning is how we can have joy in difficult times. In the midst of the pain and the suffering and the confusion, and the overwhelming emotions, how we can uh, become more like Jesus Christ. How we can advance the gospel, as Paul says here. Even though he was going through difficult times, they really served to advance the gospel And how your difficult times, God can mold you and make you more like Jesus in order that you might be a brighter light of the gospel in order that you in the future might be able to share with people who don't know Jesus, how he showed up in the midst of your difficult time. Well, let's go back to Paul and talk about his difficult time. If we read the book of Acts, we see the history behind the book of Philippi. Uh, Paul was uh, going to Jerusalem on his third missionary journey. And everybody said, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. You're going to get arrested. And he felt the Spirit lead. So he went to Jerusalem, and there was a mob that came against him, and he was in prison just to keep him safe. Well, through that whole process, uh, he had uh, appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen. He wanted to appear before Caesar to speak of his faith in Jesus Christ. And so he spent two years in a prison in Caesarea. You'll see a map here of Israel. And Caesarea is just up to uh, the northwest there, and Jerusalem is down here. And so he spent two years there, not a very pleasant environment, waiting to be shipped off to Rome to appear before Nero at that time. Well, finally, he got his uh, ticket to Go on board a ship. Not exactly a carnival cruise, but kind of like a carnival cruise because they shipwrecked. Now, they shipwrecked. And so, Paul had to swim for his life. And his life was saved and spared by God. So he finally made it to Rome, and he made his appearance before Nero, and he proclaimed his faith in Jesus Christ, and then they put him, under house arrest until Nero made his decision whether Paul would die or live. This is a picture some people think might have, what that house arrest looked like. He wasn't with the rest of the criminals because it was more like a political crime, I guess you could say. So here he was maybe in a room like this and chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year long for two years. Every six hours a new Roman soldier would come and Paul ate, chained to a Roman soldier. He slept, uh, chained to a Roman soldier. Uh, he uh, did everything for the Roman soldier. Uh, that's not a very nice existence. He, he certainly was going through some very difficult times. I think all of us would not be in the best mood if we had to put up with that type of experience. But in the midst of this, what he says is, that what's happened to me? Jenny was in prison for four years over this stretch. What's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Reminds me of John Bunyan back in the 1600s. He was in England, and he was preaching the gospel. And the British government wanted to silence him. So they put him in prison. He just kept preaching, and the, the crowds would come to the prison, and they'd listen to him <laughs> as it came through the prison wall. And they could hear him, so they put him deeper in the prison. He was in the prison for like 12 years, so he wrote his autobiography, and he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. You see an image here, Pilgrim's Progress, one of the more recent uh, versions. Uh, but he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which is a powerful allegory about the Christian life so, it was published in 1687, and it has never been out of print. Now, what kind of book is that, right? That's been going for 300 years. And so the British government thought that they were silencing John Bunyan when they were giving him an opportunity to write a book that would speak to millions and millions and millions of people throughout the centuries. That's how God works. You know, God does some of His best work in prisons, no doubt. Well, let's see how the gospel was advancing while Paul was in prison. Verse 13, he says, The gospel is advancing so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What is he talking about the Imperial Guard? This is the Praetorian Guard. This is the the best of the best in the Roman military. And they guarded Rome. There were about 9,000 of them. And some of them were assigned to the palace to protect Caesar as well as uh, to protect his family. Kind of like the Secret Service. and, And these were the guys who sat next to Paul on a daily basis. Now, we talked about the frustration of living with a Roman soldier chained to you 24 hours a day. But think about the soldier (laughs) being chained to Paul for six hours. Talk about a captive audience. I mean, Paul was an evangelist, (laughs) and he talked their ear off. I mean, hey, he was going to save this guy one way or another. He told them all about Jesus Christ and the power of his death and resurrection He told them the miraculous story of his conversion on the Damascus Road after he'd been killing Christians and told them all about his missionary journeys. And I believe that many of these men came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, even to the point that the gospel spread like a virus in those upper echelons. We see at the end of the book, Philippians 4.22, he says, All the saints... Greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. <laughs> what? Caesar's household? Yeah, some of them became Christ followers. Why? Because Paul was in prison. He was witnessing to the Roman guard, the same people that protected the household. The soldiers shared their faith with the people in the household, and they became Christ followers. Now, if Paul had gone to Rome normally to visit the church, he would have never had this type of impact. He would have never been able to get into Caesar's household. So God enabled through this prison experience for people to come to Christ right in the heart of power in Rome. See, God does some of His best work in prisons. We don't like prisons, do we? What kind of prison are you in today? Think about it for a moment. Where, where do you feel trapped in life? What would you like to change about your life? What painful situation would you like to step out of? Maybe you feel trapped in a job. A job you don't like. A job that the people that you're with, oh, they, there's nobody really that you connect with and, Uh, You don't like your job. It's a pain. Or maybe you don't have a job. You're chained to unemployment. That's a tough prison to be in, isn't it? Or maybe uh, it's a relational chain. You're chained to your spouse. and You don't like your spouse. Your marriage is not what you anticipated it might be. You're struggling. You're in pain. Maybe you're tied to one of your children. You're chained to them. And they're rebellious. And they're getting into all kinds of trouble. And it's just like, oh, if only I could be released from this problem. Only they shape up, (laughs) you know. Maybe you're chained to a health condition, you're chained to a disease. Talking with a young lady out here daily chronic headaches just every day chronic headache a teenager you know unless the Lord miraculously heals her she'll have it for who knows how long there's a lot of prisons in life isn't there there's a lot of circumstances we would like to change if we had the power to do that the question is how do you respond to prisons I think a lot of us say, ah, get me out of here. (laughs) We become bitter. And say, why God? This isn't fair. This is not the way I want my life to go. What are you doing? Something is uh, really messed up here. We need to learn from Paul. You see, the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. Uncommon joy, because here Paul was sitting in prison. He was sitting and being restricted from preaching the gospel as he would desire to, restricted in freedoms. I don't think any of us want to be in jail, right? But that, That's what his circumstance was. But he still was filled with joy. Not because of what was happening to him, but because of his love for Jesus Christ. His joy was rooted in Jesus, his relationship with Jesus. Jesus was everything to Paul. And because of that, that's where he found his joy. I think that uh, what the Word of God teaches us is that the prisons that we're in are actually the classrooms of Jesus. And if we, we, we think about it in that way, which is a biblical way to think about it, that the trials that we're experiencing are helping us to become more like Jesus. And He can teach things to us in a prison that He could never teach to us outside of a prison. Well, that's something that's meaningful. And, and if our lives are, are focused on Jesus and becoming like Him, well, that all makes sense. But the problem is, is that we get... You know, switched around and we think our life is about us being happy and our life is about fulfilling our dreams and our life is having the right this or the right that or, you know, whatever it might be. But it's not about that. Life is uncertain. Life throws us all kind of curveballs. and We need to realize that, that when we're in our prison, if we just take a biblical view our circumstance, our difficult circumstance, and realize that this is an unbelievable opportunity to learn that Jesus Christ is our sustenance, that Jesus Christ is everything, that Jesus Christ can meet our needs, even in the midst of our pain. That is worth it. That is worth it. That's where the joy comes from. Well, we continue on. Uh, verse 14, he says that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's saying there's a certain group of evangelists that are out there. They, they know that I'm in prison. Uh, they, they, they care about me. They love me. And therefore, they become even more zealous than before because they see me in prison suffering for the gospel. And therefore, they say, hey. You know, if Paul was willing to step up and take a risk, we'll do the same thing. We'll step out in faith in Christ and speak the gospel, and if we get thrown in prison, so be it. So this was really inspiring people. Reminds me of the missionary Jim Elliot. Many of you know the story back in nineteen fifty six. We see a picture here of Jim Elliot and four other men. All from Wheaton College that went down to Ecuador to witness the cannibals. <laughs> yeah, witness the cannibals. And so there was a long process of them studying the culture and figuring out how they were going to approach this. And finally, when they decided to make contact with the Aka people, uh, they were all murdered there in this small little island. What a prison, right? like, that's not the way it's supposed to go. Imagine their families, their friends, and how they were impacted by the loss of those uh, precious men who wanted to preach the gospel to this lost tribe. And uh, the miraculous story, as many of you know, is that over time, that whole tribe became a Christ-following tribe. Elizabeth uh, Elliot Jim's wife tells the story and Gates a splendor. How many saw End of the Sphere, that movie? Okay, well, that tells the story as well. If you haven't seen that movie and you're not familiar with the story, you know, read it on Netflix, uh, read the book. It's really inspiring. And, and the point here is because of their suffering, because of their martyrdom, thousands and thousands and thousands of men and women have been inspired to go into missionary work. Just like when Paul was in prison and suffering, they were inspired to carry the gospel. <laughs> you know, we need to continue to read Christian history and we need to continue to listen to the stories of great men and women of the faith who have taken the risk. And many have lost their lives and suffered for the gospel in order that they might take the good news in order that we might be inspired to take the good news to those around us. He goes on, he says, there was another group of evangelists uh, that didn't have the best motives. We read in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So there was another group of evangelists who were selfish. And they wanted a name for themselves. They were so tired of hearing Paul's name all the time when they talk with people. Oh, have you heard about Paul? You, Do you know what Paul recently did? I mean, Paul's planting all these churches. Paul's been in heaven with Jesus. And and Paul's been writing these wonderful letters. Paul, Paul, Paul! I don't want to hear about Paul anymore. I want to hear my name. (laughs) I want to be known among the churches. So these guys, they were out there working double time because Paul was in prison. He was on the shelf. This was their time to kind of, you know, Hey, look at me. Look at how I preach the gospel. And at the same time, they were criticizing Paul for his ministry. I can imagine they were saying things like, oh yeah, Paul, he's that hothead. He's always getting upset about stuff. And he knew that if he went to Jerusalem, he would be arrested. Now he's been in prison for so many years, taken out of action because of his own foolishness and discrediting work of Christ and they were nailing him. Paul says they were afflicting me. (laughs) They were publicly criticizing him while he was in prison. It was all because they wanted their name known. They wanted their kingdom built. All that kind of stuff. Now how does Paul respond? you think he'd really be deeply hurt by this. Probably guys that he knew were attacking him. Look what he says in uh, verse 18. He says what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, for the wrong motive, right? Or in truth, the people who loved him, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Every seed's a joy word, right? I'm filled with joy, even though there are people out there who are criticizing me, who are dragging my name through the mud well that doesn't matter the thing that matters is that Jesus Christ good work and good news is being proclaimed they might be doing it for the wrong motive they might be trashing me I don't care the gospel is moving forward because I'm in prison here these guys are going to town trying to build a name for themselves but even as they speak the gospel with the wrong motives, there's power in the gospel. Even when people speak it for their own benefit, people are still being saved. And Paul was saying, this is great. <laughs> oh, man. Paul was full of Jesus. Because <laughs> if you're not full of Jesus, you're saying, oh, those idiots well, trashing me while I'm suffering here in prison. They call themselves Christians. <laughs> right? But when you're when you're rooted in Christ and that's all you care about, all you care about is the good news of Christ getting out into the world. That's who Paul was. He wasn't perfect by far, but again, at this time in his life, it was he only maybe had four or five years to live. He was very, very spiritually mature, and he could look at the situation in a very supernatural way through the Spirit, Spirit's power, and wow be such an example to us when people start attacking us for whatever reason Um, and and, you know as I was reflecting on this passage this past week I was thinking okay Dan how much is the gospel a part of your life your desire to tell other people about Jesus how often are you thinking about lost people how often are you praying for your gospel friend how often are you reaching out to your neighbors and loving them how much are you sacrificing for the gospel? You know, we all need to ask that question. You know, we, as a team here, a, fa- a family with a mission here at Springbrook. You know, how are we giving ourselves over to the proclamation of the gospel? Because friends, when Jesus is at the core and center of your life, when you are, are deepening your relationship with Him, and you're, you're realizing your identity Him, that you're you're, you're in Christ. Um, and you're with God because Christ is in God, and you realize, you know, that you're righteous, and when you understand all those things, you now you realize what more do I want than to tell other people that they can have this same unbelievable experience of being a child of God? We go on to verse 19. It says, "For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit." Jesus Christ this will turn out for my deliverance so he says I know that through your prayers this will turn out for my deliverance now that word deliverance means salvation now there's different thoughts about what he's talking about is he talking about getting out of jail is he talking about just going to heaven one day or whatever I I tend to think it's talking about getting out of jail and he did get out of jail I, I believe that that God gave Paul, this confidence that he would be released, that he would not be executed. But notice what he says here. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he was going through a difficult time. And we can see from this passage that he was dependent upon the prayers of other saints. And when people pray for you, what happens is is that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God, becomes active in your life and you are filled with supernatural power and wisdom and insight in order to be able to handle life uh, in a much different way than you could on your own. And that's why prayer is so important, because it unleashes the power of God in your life. So think again about the prison you might be in. And how many people do you think are praying for you right now in that prison? You got to tell somebody first, right? <laughs> people aren't telepathic. <laughs> I mean, people might have impressions and God speaks to them, and they got to pray for this person. But it's really good to let people know <laughs> if you want them to pray for you, right? And some of you have trouble doing that. You got to speak about what's going on in your heart to whoever's appropriate. Uh, but you need prayer. We tend to kind of think of the Apostle Paul as some type of super Christian that didn't need prayer, didn't need anybody. But that's the opposite of what we see in the New Testament. He was always in relationships with other people. You look at his letters, and at the end of the letter, typically he lists many people that he's so grateful for. He, he was so dependent upon other people and how they served him, and, and how he served them. And he was relationally He, he, he had a strong relational web all of us need to continue to build as we live the Christian life. And, you know, when somebody is struggling, uh, I always ask them when my first question is, hey, are you part of a small group? And if they say yes, I know that they have a prayer covering in their life. I know that people are encouraging them that if they've shared it with a group, that the people are praying for their particular need. And that's why I continue to encourage and and exhort people to get involved in a small group as we come up on the spring trimester here. Maybe you've drifted away from small groups. Maybe you had a bad small group experience or maybe life has become busy, but, oh, it's so important to have a group of people. Maybe it's a ministry small group of people that you're serving together, but you know them well, you see them regularly, and and they can encourage and support you. We need prayer. And if you're trying to do life without other people praying for you, your prayers are not enough for yourself, okay? That's not the way it works. I'm praying for myself. Well, that's a good thing. But you need more prayer than that. Well, who says? The Word of God says. If the apostle Paul is saying, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, who are you to think, well, I can handle it on my own. I'm kind of a solo Christian. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. Tell people you need prayer because you need it. And they will pray for you for you right now how many people are praying for you you need more people praying for you I can guarantee it I need more people praying for me please pray for me please okay <laughs> I've doing that I'm up here <laughs> and thankfully as a pastor that's one of the benefits of being a pastor you get a lot of prayer support and I'm so thankful for all of you who pray for me regularly I, again that's just a tremendous gift you give to me but I want the same type of prayer for you guys you know? And again, you might say, well, you know, I'm not connected and that kind of thing. Well, I tell you what, right after this service, you can go to our reception area, our prayer center, and our elders are going to be there. And you can share your prayer with them. Say, just walk in and say, I need prayer. And they'll say, okay, you're right, you do need prayer. We need it too. <laughs> or you come on Wednesday nights to our prayer team, uh, and, and they'll pray for you. On Wednesday nights, And friends, you know, get prayer. You need it. I need it. Ask for it. Put it on Facebook. Pray for me. How many have put pray for me on Facebook in the last month? Anybody? A couple of you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of silly things people put on Facebook and whatever. But pray for me. (laughs) You might not have to give all the details, but just say pray for me, and you might get a few prayers out there. All right? Social technology working for you. All right. All right, well, we go on in Philippians one twenty, As it is my eager expectation and hope. Now, he's thinking about how he wants to finish out his life. He's an, he's an older man. That I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He, want, he wants to live for Christ because of all that Jesus had done for him. He wanted to glorify God in his body. And again, this is how it works with our difficult times. How can we turn difficult times into learning opportunities? Well, we look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, 2, and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. So as we step into unique prisons and God is speaking to us, or for letting, letting God speak to us. Again, God can teach us things in prisons that He can't teach us anywhere else. In the midst of our pain, and you never want to waste pain, right? That's the worst thing to do is just go through pain, gritting your teeth, saying, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, until the pain is over and never learned anything about growing closer to Jesus. Don't waste your pain, man. I mean, it's it's hard to go through pain. Draw close to Jesus in the midst of your pain, right? And And so here's a question you need to ask yourself. Many of you have asked us, why God? That's okay to ask, yeah. And you might get some understanding from God, or you might not. But here's the second question you need to ask yourself. What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach me? Have you asked that about the prison you're in, about the relationship you're in, about your job, whatever you're going through? Have you asked, what are you trying to teach? Even if it's your own sin that caused it. (laughs) I mean, you messed up and you're experiencing pain because of it. I say, I know you've forgiven me for this, Lord, but what are you trying to teach me through this mistake, through this sin? What are you trying to teach me about you? It's interesting. I was listening to somebody this past week in audio teaching. They were saying there are three different basic needs that we have. And one of them is approval. Usually, by the age 5 or 60, are kind of deep set within us, this person said. And, and so, uh, the need for approval. That, that's true, isn't it? I mean, man, that's where I live. Now, I want to be approved by people. And so, we do all kinds of things. Uh, we build careers. We serve people. We do whatever just so people will say, you're okay. I like you. <laughs> right. You know, that that's a main motivator for a lot of people. Okay, uh, or another one is um, the area of uh, security. And some of us just spend all our time focusing on security. How can we be secure? I don't like change. Uh, I want life to continue as it is. I just want to be secure. I just want enough money in the bank. I want to make sure that everything is the way it should be. I don't you know? Talked about. So you got approval, security, and then you also have control. Control. People want to control life. Right? We all struggle with this to some degree, some others, some more than others. But like yeah, I gotta control everybody, I control every situation, I gotta have things turn out exactly the way I want them to turn out, right? Well, how did Paul live? Philippians one twenty one. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is one of the classic verses in the book of Philippians. In fact, this is the most well-known verse in the book of Philippians. It's interesting, as you look at it in the original language, there's no verbs. It's kind of like live, Christ, die, gain. It's so succinct, and it's so parallel, so balanced. Paul's saying, okay, if I'm living, it's all about Jesus. And if I'm dying, it's all about Jesus. You see, what we need to understand, and this really, again, is at the heart of the message of this book, that if you really want consistent, stable, peace in your life. It's got to be rooted in Jesus Christ. It has to be all about Jesus. You see, instead of seeking approval from other people, Paul was resting in Jesus Christ's approval of him because of the work he did on the cross. That's where he sought approval. He wasn't worried about what other people thought about him, per se, at this stage in his life. In regards to security, here he was in prison. (laughs) He's about to be executed, maybe. But his security was found in Christ. It wasn't found in many other things that we find security in. His security was in Jesus. And finally... He realized he couldn't control anything. And so therefore, he let Jesus control everything in his life. He fully trusted in him. You see, friends, that's the secret. That instead of going out on our own, trying to find approval, trying to find security, trying to find trying to control life, we find it all in Jesus. And that's what brings us the joy, and no matter how our circumstances might change and things might go in life, Jesus isn't changing. Okay. We can always find our approval in him, always find our security, and always realize that he's sovereign. He's going to control things and he's going to do his will in our lives. And that's hard to do. That's where we need the power of the Spirit to live in that way. To live in that way to realize that when Jesus Christ puts us in a prison or allows that to happen that we're there to learn and the key thing we need to learn is come back to him stop chasing after everything in the world but come back to him and realize okay in Jesus that's where I find my true satisfaction for me to live as Christ and to die as gain then he goes on based on this statement really kind of humorous, uh, he goes on to, to kind of argue with himself about what's better. Is it better to live, or is it better to be dead? Anybody had that dialogue in your head this past week? <laughs> Gee, I wonder if it would be better if I was dead. Not in the sense of committing suicide, but uh, in terms of saying, you know, I wonder if would be better off in heaven than being here on earth. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, that which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So he's saying, if I live in the flesh, I can continue to bear fruit. I can continue to encourage you people at Philippi. I can encourage, I can continue to, to proclaim the gospel. I can continue to bring people into relationship with Christ. That's good. That's all about Jesus. And in Philippians 1, 23, he says, I am hard pressed between the two, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. So He shows us His hand. He said, "Hey, listen. If you're going to give me my my what I really want, take me, beam me up, man. I want to be with Jesus, because you see, you got to realize that uh, <clears throat> Paul had a personal tour of heaven. All right, remember that? Before he went on his ministry, he was taken up into heaven with Christ. And he saw it, man. (laughs) He saw it. And when you think about that, I'm thinking, how could he last so long here on earth after seeing it? Really? And some of you have the wrong view of heaven. Some of you think, oh man, I don't know how to play the harp and I'm going to fall through that cloud. I just know it. Man, a worship service all day long. I can hardly stand an hour and 20 minutes once a week. Come on, Boreen! Oh, man, you you have no clue. You have no clue, man. Wouldn't earth be great if we were just all perfect and we all got along, no pain, no suffering, no natural disasters. I mean, really, how God intended it to be? And God created this for our pleasure, this world, right? So now He's been working on a new world for us. And you think He's going to make it worse? Well, no. I mean, heaven is not like uh, earth 2.0 it's like earth 1 million point oh I mean it's going to be a party every day I mean every there's never going to be any disappointment on oh, that meal wasn't quite what I thought it would be oh, the choir was a little off today you know Jesus is not as bright as he was yesterday no no no, no. every day is going to be better than the day before when I think about this, I'm thinking Paul. He was an, he was incredible that he he stuck around so long, when he knew what heaven was like, right? And that shows his passion for obeying and for wanting to to get the gospel. Out. He wanted to he wanted to tell everybody what it was like. You got to come with me. You got to know the the grace of Christ. But then he says, "But to remain in the flesh." Necessary in your time. He says, I know what heaven's like, but I'm going to stay here just for you. Because you need help. You need encouragement. You need to grow. Other people, everybody needs to know about Jesus. Now, I want to close our time. I want you to bow your heads and just reflect with me uh, for a moment here. So many times we rip through passages and, you know, we Taking spiritual truth and we don't process it. So I just want you to imagine for yourself imagine that you're in your prison. So just kind of get a visual image of whatever prison you've been thinking about in your life. Just get a visual image of it. Just imagine it as a prison, whether it be your job or relationship or health or whatever. So kind of just get a visual picture of that prison and think about how you've been responding to that prison. Maybe you've been. Find the proper way, or maybe you've just been angry, been uh, bitter, uh, you've been complaining. All right? So you got that in your mind? Now, I want you to imagine Jesus Christ in that person. When Jesus Christ comes to you and he says, I know you're angry. I know you're upset. I know you're fearful but uh, I've allowed this in order so I can teach you some things that you never learn outside of this prison. And will you let me teach you? Will you listen to me? Will you make me the center of your life? Jesus wants to teach you that he's the source of you're He's the source of your security. He's the one who can manage your life if you'll just let him. Sometimes he has to stab us some big prisons for us to get it. But don't waste your pain. Don't waste your suffering. I know many of you are hurting. And Jesus knows it too. And he wants to be so close to you right now. He wants to comfort and encourage you. He wants to fill you with his power. Take a moment and be there with Jesus. Look into his face. See the love, the compassion that he has for Just say, Jesus, help me. Help me. I'm lost. I'm overwhelmed. I feel hopeless. I pray that. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends. I pray for myself. Lord, I pray that we would turn our prisons into classrooms where Jesus teaches us about the fact that He is all-sufficient. That we just need to put our faith in Him. And not live a life based upon all our circumstances that we desire. Based of life is called to be